I'm Kate Daniels. Earth Day is being celebrated this week on Friday, but we all accept now, I think, that Earth Day is every day. Every moment we should naturally be living in such a way that we tread gently on this planet. One of the key ways we've created problems is with the use of harmful chemicals. Professor Ken Geyser teaches at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell, where his work is various policy courses in the Department of Work Environment. He's also the author of Chemicals Without Harm, Policies for a Sustainable World, and he joins us now. Professor Ken Geyser, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning, Kate. Nice to be here. And thank you for your dedication. You've really devoted decades of your life now to really working on finding good solutions and fixing the problems that we've had in our world around this whole area of chemicals, because, of course, we know we need them in in everything that we work with. But here in your new book, Chemicals Without Harm, Policies for a Sustainable World, you're really helping us to take a look what's going on and to help us to figure out how we participate in making things good and working uh, well in our world. You say it correctly, Kate. That's that's the mission of the book. Um, there's a lot of uh, literature out there today and on some of the problems of chemicals. And you talk to normal consumers, you hear a certain level of concern about um, hazardous chemicals and pot- potentially environmentally degrading chemicals. And what I've tried to do is recognize all of that, but really look at what can be done or how, how can we really move to a safer system of chemicals. Now, don't we as consumers, haven't we rather, become much more aware? I don't know if we're really well enough informed yet, but uh, aren't we really looking at what we have around us and how we clean our homes, what we bring into our homes? Or are we still needing to really face a, a lot more education on this front? Well, it's certainly true that over the last, particularly the last decade and a half, we've seen a growing awareness amongst just your normal mom-and-pop consumer um, about uh, the kind of chemicals that are in products that they bring into their homes. And people are tending to try to shop better. I mean, the organic food movement is a good example of people being thoughtful about pesticides and chemical residues on, on food. But we also see it, as you suggest, around personal care products and around uh, cleaning products. There's a lot people don't recognize, for instance, <laughs> simple things like um, uh, flame retardants in furniture and uh, the kind of chemicals that show up in dry cleaning and things like that. But in general, people are, I think, more aware, and there's a growing niche of uh, consumers that are really shopping for greener and safer products. And so here's the uh, a major tie-in is, and, and what actually exists, is that this is so much a part of our economy. And that's where we sometimes end up uh, in a bit of a dilemma, a struggle, really, of how companies produce products and where bottom line comes in and what's best for the consumer, but is it best for what's happening with business? That is is another aspect of this that gets a little bit challenging. Yes, that's true. Um, basically, we live in a very chemically rich and intensive environment. Uh, 
products that we have today are the result of tremendous innovations in the chemical and chemical engineering fields that have provided us with um, chemicals, synthetic chemicals that can do a lot of work for us, that uh, create the kinds of uh, uh, functions that we really want, like durability and color and, and longevity and function that really make products very much uh, desirable and attractive and helpful in our lives. Um, it's uh, only, uh, it, there is a sort of a downside to it though as well, and that is some of the same uh, characteristics of chemicals, particularly their reactivity or their persistence, also means that for some of them, they're also concerning. They are concerning to health, they're concerning to how they, uh, once they're released into the environment, how they do or don't degrade, and how we build up in the environment various synthetic chemicals in places where um, they are uh, potentially dangerous to wildlife and the ocean, et cetera. So, um, yes, it's a mixed issue. Um, it's like any technology. We, we're very excited about the, the functions and the prospects of um, new technologies, but there's always some kind of edginess about the risks. So we see that there really is um, quite a conundrum, I guess, that exists in how to find what is really safe because we want to have all these products that make our life easier, better, uh, functions more smoothly. But we have to find a way that it's really going to be... Well, it has to be in harmony both with us and with the planet because we are all just very intricately uh, involved that way. Yeah, chemicals are part of a, a, a system. We, of course, they, we, there's a, a biological system of chemicals that is the, what makes up the nature, makes up our bodies, makes up our food and all that has been going for, you know, since the beginning of, of the planet. And so... Those chemicals have been have generally chemicals that are safer and better for us. We have, over the last 150 years, really developed a lot of synthetic chemicals, some of which are, are benign and safe, but some of which are particularly concerning. And during that time, though, we've also developed a lot of understanding of what makes chemicals hazardous. And uh, so it's that understanding that leads, I think, the foundation of the science for new, what we now call green chemistry or sustainable chemistry, chemistry that is really more in keeping with uh, the natural systems and with our own health. And is this then a really viable way for us to proceed into the future? Is this going to be healthy for us individually, as individuals? Is it healthy for the planet? And is it going to really be, that word, sustainable? The, uh, what's interesting, in the last 20 years, or particularly uh, notable this, day, this, past, this decade, has been the number of, uh, of businesses that have either sprung up or have uh, uh, sprung up uh, providing products that are safer and, and cleaner. There's lots of new personal care products on the market. There's various uh, clothing uh, now that uh, you can buy. There's uh, products that are used around the home. You mentioned cleaning products. There are little businesses that have really um, come to the fore that are promoting uh, products that are uh, that do not contain some of the most 
we've also seen is large brand name corporations, and I mean here uh, Apple and uh, Hewlett Packard and Steelcase and uh, uh, Dell and, and uh, 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 Seventh Generation and Method and other of these larger companies are also um, moving toward products that do not contain chemicals that are known to be problematic for health or environment. And so we're seeing some real good signs of an economy that's paying attention and starting to shift toward um, safer, safer products. Because the one thing that always strikes me as this huge question mark is if we aren't all of us really committed to making this the healthiest environment possible, I mean, it affects all of us. So how can we just kind of turn a blind eye and and use something because it's easier or less costly, but it's going to be harmful? Well, the consumer is in a difficult position. I mentioned that there are a lot of consumers today who are looking to try to uh, buy safer uh, products and all. But it's difficult. The products aren't necessarily labeled well, so that uh, for a consumer, it's hard to determine whether a product that they're interested in purchasing um, uh, does have chemicals of concern. And even when they're labeled, uh, it's often chemical names, and it's not easy for a consumer to know what the potential health or environmental effects of those are. Um, There are ways to... Now, there are new tools that consumers can use. Um, there are Internet sites that you can use to uh, rate, that rate products, um, like, for instance, on cosmetics. There's an Internet site called Skin Deep, which uh, uh, gives a rating on various cosmetics and personal care products. And then there's Good Guide, an a, a Internet site that comes out of San Francisco that rates some 20,000 chemi- products, I should say, um, in regards to their health, environment, and social attributes. So there are ways for consumers to uh, shop better um, if they're willing to do some of the work of really looking for things. Of course, most consumers are in a pretty big rush to uh, get shopping done and move on. Um, So it does take a a, a bit of effort and and some attention um, to really... uh, act in an individual way um, to promote um, safer products. And so I wonder about those, the companies, which are then kind of this just a, a conglomerate, but there are people that run these companies, and you, in your research and your awareness of this, uh, Professor Geyser, would perhaps be more familiar with it those entities that are creating something that could potentially be harmful, I mean, it affects them as well. Wouldn't they want to be more conscious, more careful, and produce healthy products? Some do, and others are still um, uh, reluctant. uh, And this is partly because we have used a a system of focusing on risk over the last uh, 30 years or 40 years since we've really had federal um, statutory uh, laws that uh, promote, that were designed to really promote uh, safer chemicals. Most of that has been based on this concept of risk. And risk is really um, an assessment that takes into consideration the hazards of a chemical, but also the likely exposures to that chemical. And uh, 
the assumption was that if the exposures are low, um, then one can be exposed to a hazardous chemical and not be uh, affected by it. And this or may or may not be true, but it doesn't actually drive um, uh, the creation of safer chemicals because what we're really doing or what many companies um, uh, consider when they are making a product is if uh, the exposure is low, then there's not really a need to search for a safer chemical. What the book tries to do is really promote the idea of the hazard first, that we really ought to try to find the safest chemical, and then, if only then, if we can't, then we will concern more about exposure management. Um, but it, if we focus on the hazardous chemical, we end up sending the right message to the industry, the chemical industry, and to chemists that there's really a demand for safer chemicals for making products. And does this come from we, the individual, the consumer? Do we drive this, or is government in the place of uh, setting policies? Which come first? Well, consumers are important. Um, it is. It is. It's the. It's the fundamental driver at this point is that consumers are growing in awareness and that businesses are, are trying to pay attention to that. But governments also can play a role. Um, there in Washington, you've got a, 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 some new laws protect that uh, take a look at chemicals in children's products, and the Department of Ecology there is a leader um, in sort of, they do some of their own testing on products. And so state government um, has been... Um, a driver as well. California, Maine, Minnesota, some of the these states that have a lot of pay a lot of attention to environmental issues have been leaders. What we haven't seen so much is the federal government. Um, the federal government, which at one time really was a leader in this area, has um, is simply been constrained by a lot of the conservatism that is in Washington at this time. Um, so we're really, if we're looking for government activity, it's really at the state level that we're seeing. So that's some really good information and direction for us to be more active, uh, make our voices heard, make our concerns uh, real vocal. That's right. And it can be done at the, I mentioned the state level, but, you know, it can also be done at the local level is when citizens actually uh, talk to their school boards, for instance, about what kind of products um, school boards um, bring into schools or when uh, citizens pay attention to their municipal services and look at what kind of pesticides are used in parks or what kind of chemicals are used in uh, various facilities, um, recreational facilities and others. And when citizens actually talk to their retailers, um, go and talk to their to the local retailers and sort of sit down and say, well, what, what kind of products do we want to see on the shelves of, um, uh, of a retail operation. And this is, for instance, larger retailers like Walmart and Target and Staples and some of these big ones already have lists of substances that they are trying to avoid um, in their uh, purchase of products for sale on the shelves. And it's good if citizens can actually talk to the people who actually manage these stores. So I encourage um, citizens to talk to retailers in their local uh, towns. 
terrific. So some real good uh, steps that we can take personally and feel uh, empowered, like we really can make a difference. That's right. That's right. I think people just don't realize how important their voices can be, not just individually, that's when it's harder, but in groups when people actually get together and, uh, and try to work together to um, build a safer community. Then on a, really a, an international level, you're saying, you've said um, in the book, Professor Geyser, that the United Nations has already developed a, a strategy and that that should help our government really to uh, incorporate that, at least to some degree. Yeah, the, um, both uh, the European Union and the UN, the United Nations, have both become drivers toward globally moving towards safer chemicals. European Union, in about 10 years ago now, uh, completely overhauled their um, chemical policies, and that affects some 26 countries in Europe um, that now have a common policy on uh, chemicals, which requires not only that all chemicals be registered, that's something we don't require here in the U.S., um, but also uh, has a system of so-called authorization for the most dangerous chemicals, requiring that firms, if they wish to use some of the more dangerous chemicals, they need to get government uh, authorization to actually use them. That has become a driver because the European Union is a very large part of the global market um, for uh, chemicals. has become a driver globally, and so it's affecting the U.S. as well in the sense that chemicals, products that are made for the uh, European market, for instance, electronic products, um, are now, there's no differentiation with products made for the U.S. market. So while our government has not stepped up um, as rapidly or as effectively, um, the Europeans have um, really pushed that. The U.N. has got a large global strategy called SICEM, uh, Strategic uh, International Alliance uh, Approach to Chemical Management, um, that it sort of sets out a strategy for moving toward um, safer chemicals. So. We're seeing a lot of activity internationally, which is really important. Yes, that is a very interesting way to look at it, that that in, uh, in its own, not so much benign, but in a subtle way is driving it that if we want to be involved with that market, then we have to cater to, the, to that, and that affects the kind of uh, ingredients or the, the chemicals that are used in our products. And in particular, of course, because a lot of our products come, a lot of our personal care products and, and electronics and all come out of Asia, it's important because the Asian countries like China and Taiwan and uh, Korea and all have recently passed laws that try to harmonize with this new European approach. And so it's affecting products even though they may not be made in Europe, they're being made for Europe, and they're being made um, uh, for the U.S. as well. So we see that it that it is uh, there that there is progress being made. That it is feeling like we're moving towards something that is more harmonious, that is uh, safer for all of us. That's what I see. Um, it's a long it's a long journey. I don't think it's it's. Uh, it's not going to be quick, but the conversion or the transition to safer chemicals, I think, is in process. Um, it's going to take a lot of um, work by a lot of people, 
safer chemicals, but the drivers are increasingly there. And so I see uh, the potential of the market really shifting. Um, so all of this information, just uh, very much in depth, is found in this new book, Chemicals Without Harm, Politics policies for a sustainable world. And Professor Geyser, you've really devoted, uh, well, your your life, your, your work, your research into this kind of work. And this book, Chemicals Without Harm, is just the latest uh, result of, of your passion, of your dedication. Yes, it's been a long, my own uh, journey has been a long one as well. i I've been working in this area for about 35 years, um, mostly on policies here in the United States and working with the UN internationally. Um, so, yeah, it, um, I, I, it has become a kind of a passion. And for people who want even greater information, uh, you have a website that you can direct us to that we can do more research and uh, investigate. Yes, um, there's a website. It's a uh, it has a lot of resources, just uh, publications and other things that people can read and take a look at. It's www.materialspolicy.org, materialspolicy.org. Terrific. So great resources. The book, Chemicals Without Harm, the website, that's really going to give us insights and help us at whatever level we're at to work individually and in groups. As you were saying, though, it's really good to get groups at the grassroots level, essentially, to uh, to come to our communities, to come to our government, and see that uh, we get policies set in place by asking questions and doing the research. Yes, that's that's what I encourage um, as, as well. I think it's it takes a a lot of us working together, um, and uh, uh, certainly the uh, advocacy community has played a role in this, and another way for citizens is to join groups that are inactive in most every state at this point, um, promoting safer chemicals. Um, they're in Washington. It's I think the Washington Toxics Coalition is an example of this, but there are groups um, throughout, the, uh, throughout the country. So... Really, uh, there's a lot that's positive that's going on, and uh, it requires our participation to at least to some level to to really get work done. Now, you were saying earlier about uh, tools uh, that are available for us, and you know, thinking of the technology that that keeps ramping up all the time, and we see how these smartphones can do so much uh, that is really so amazing. You know, this little computer we carry around with us. Now we see these different apps that are available. Is there something like that where we could actually? decipher the kind of chemicals, the ingredients, uh, per se, in different uh, materials that uh, we're going to purchase, whether they be uh, for our home, whether they be for, you know, use uh, uh, body products, that kind of thing. Is that uh, available or is it in development? Sure. It actually is available. It is available. The the one I mentioned earlier, Good Guide, I think is a good one to start with. Um, uh, basically, uh, there's an app that you can get um, from the Good Guide website uh, that uh, you can put on your 
mobile phone, and uh, it allows you to be able to photograph the barcode on a product. That is the code that, of course, is used to uh, when you check out. Um, the same barcode can be um, uh, photographed, and then it will read that and identify the product, and then uh, show you um, in a color-coded uh, rating system where that product really stands in regards to um, health, environment, and social um, attributes. And what's nice about it is it's not just a rating system. If you go into that um, system, you can actually find the scientific uh, studies and all that lie behind the uh, rating system. So it's it's well documented. I think it's very sound. I think it's a very good um, uh, tool, and it can be used right there in a in a store when you're when you're shopping. Well, that is just so exciting that it really breaks it down to uh, essentially information that we can use so very readily, so that the long scientific names we might read on something that would be confusing. It sounds like this app would help us to decipher it. Yes, it does. It, it does that. It, uh, and it also will give you an idea of, uh, say, you you are looking at a specific product, you look at the rating on it, and it's um, uh, maybe green on one, on, say, health, but it's got a red mark for environmental effects or potentially. You can then look and see whether there are other products like it that are going to be green on all of the uh, variables. So it's a way to kind of shop without even um, uh, being in the store. That is so incredible. And so uh, you mentioned that Good Guides has this already. Does that um, imply that there will be other companies then that are going to jump on this and want to uh, really expand on it and do something perhaps uh, in some way better? Yeah, I think what happens is that as as these kind of rating systems come to the fore, or as retailers like I mentioned, Walmart and Target and others, uh, start to uh, identify lists of chemicals that they don't want in products, what this does is sends a message up the uh, chain um, to the product manufacturers and eventually to the chemical suppliers that there's really a demand to move away from chemicals that cause cancer and reproductive damage and neurological damage and towards safer safer chemicals. So it's that kind of uh, chain that really works in this in a market economy um, that can really promote um, the message that people really do want um, safer chemicals. So looking at what is happening and it feels like we're really making some good strides, positive strides, and we think back not really all that long ago when we look back to something as serious as chemical dumping and what happened at Love Canal, really, would you say we've made some remarkable changes and, and good strides? Certainly here in the U.S. and and in sort of the highly industrialized countries of Europe and all, that's true. I think that we came upon the issue of hazardous waste being dumped um, uh, mishandled and all during the 1970s and 1980s. And a lot of that work has been now uh, is much more well-managed. 
what's unfortunate is a lot of the hazardous product production moved offshore so that the wastes um, that uh, were problematic here in the United States or in Europe now are wastes that are showing up in Asia or in um, Latin America or Africa where uh, products may be being made. And uh, so it's it's a global it's a global issue, um, but it, it's um, uh, here in the U.S. I would say yes. We've the primary exposures that I uh, think Americans are dealing are exposed to these days are coming more from products than they are from hazardous waste sites. So that's really an indicator as to where we need to focus and to make ourselves better consumers and. Thinking, though, of Asia and where some of the these problems still exist, uh, of course, that's a, such a concern. Is there something that we do, how we dictate that we can remedy that problem or at least begin the remedy? Well, I think that's why it's important that the, that the UN be involved because the UN has a capacity to work, particularly with developing countries, um, uh, to help in managing wastes and managing production operations more likely. There's also been, of course, a, a, a reaction in advanced consumer economies where um, pressures put on, for instance, the electronics industry here in the U.S. and in Europe has led to uh, better uh, working conditions and better uh, conditions about waste management in, Europe, in Asia. Um, so, uh, when uh, when some of the NGOs, the non-government organizations, um, do advocacy around some of these multinational um, corporations, um, they're not just looking at what happens in the U.S. They're looking at improving the conditions in plants in Asia and, and uh, throughout the supply chain. That is excellent. Well, Professor Geyser, it really has been such a, a privilege to have an opportunity to speak with you because you obviously have this passion and all these uh, years of, of the research and dedication to this work, producing at this point this newest book, Chemicals Without Harm Policies for a Sustainable World. And I know that some of us will be uh, much more involved than others, but it does affect all of us. And to have this available is is just such uh, an important tool and gift that you give us. So I thank you so greatly for the work you're doing. And, of course, thank you for taking time with us today. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you good luck with this and hope that uh, consumers and citizens in Washington uh, continue to uh, provide the kind of uh, uh, motivation that we all need to get to uh, safer products. Absolutely. And you're helping us.